0: The Kung Fu Crew Podcast, bringing together practitioners of various styles and schools and their unique perspectives to explore the world of Chinese martial arts. In this episode of the Kung Fu Crew Podcast, you will listen to a conversation I had with uh, Gislain Kun, an expert in southern Chinese martial arts, who spent uh, quite a few years in Taiwan learning these traditional training methods there. Interestingly enough, However, Shislin also has a lot of experience with modern Chinese martial arts, the more performative Xen Dai Wushu or modern martial arts, that have their origin in mainland China, where he also spent quite a bit of time. So he actually has a very unique perspective knowing both worlds, the more modernized, performative Chinese martial arts, as well as the very traditional martial arts of southern China. Uh, we focus mainly on Hungar Kun or um, Hong Jia Chun in Mandarin, which probably is the, one of the most famous, if not the most famous, style of Chinese martial art. Maybe tied with Tai Ji Chun I guess Tai Ji Chun is very popular, but Hungar has the huge advantage of being featured in so many of the Hong Kong movies of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, as well as being one of the um, one of those styles that made it across the ocean to first the United States, but also to Europe quite early because of the connection of Canton, Hong Kong, and uh, the United States. So I found it quite fascinating to get insights into this very traditional, very specific style of Southern Chinese martial arts. And I hope you enjoy listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed enjoyed recording it. Welcome to the Kung Fu crew. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Gisela. Um, it's great to have you here. Um, and um, I'm very much looking forward to our discussion, but maybe just to give the, the listeners a bit of an idea of, of uh, who I'm talking to, maybe you can quickly introduce yourself.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, first, thank you for having me on your podcast, Daniel. Um, my name is uh, Gislain Kuhn, so I'm French, as you can hear. I'm 37 years old uh, and um, I've started Chinese martial arts at the age of 13, and uh, that was actually the first martial arts I've tried, and uh, I kept on to it uh, until today. So yeah, back then, I was lucky enough that in my city, the city my parents lived in, uh, there was uh, my first, uh, my second, so the master of my master, uh, was teaching uh, traditional Choigar back then. So I did that for like two years, then his first disciple, Master Ken Chung, took over the Wukwan, so the school. And he was more uh, well-versed in modern Wushu back then. So he started to teach modern Wushu. Um, oh, what's funny about my first year in Kung, in Kung Fu or Wushu, whatever you call it, we'll get back to that later, is that um, um, I hated it. Uh, the first year, I hated it because my goal was to look like Jet Li in a, once upon a time in China. And uh, Choi Ga was far, far, far from it. And uh, I, I just couldn't enjoy training at all. If it was not for my friends staying there back then, uh, I might not have continued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the second year, I loved it. And uh, um, I kept on training. And I even loved modern Wushu more because that was more like what i was seeing in the chinese movies and hong kong movies so Mm. it looked more like what i wanted to do at the beginning Uh, i got really into it and i i was um i did international competitions since 2005 to 2015 uh first in nanquan categories then in Changchun, which is uh, usually the opposite usually you choose only one but uh, yeah, uh, I, I prefer Nanquan when I look at it, but uh, I feel better when I do Changquan. Uh As for modern Wushu, that, were, that was like this. Yeah. And so in 2015, I had the opportunity to live in China, go and live in China. Uh, I was working for a factory uh, during the day and then training in the evenings. I was still training modern Wushu. I was then around 30 years old and... Um, I still thought I could improve uh, and I still believe I could have improved. However, I broke my meniscus uh, during training. Uh, like many Wushu athletes break their knees, if it's not the ligaments, it's the meniscus. Um, so I broke it. Uh, it's still broken as we speak. I didn't do any surgery. Um, and then that's what may make me switch from modern Wushu to traditional. I always knew that I would teach Wushu at some point in my life, and that if I want to continue, I will have someday to switch to traditional. Um, but I, I was not expecting it to happen so fast, yeah. So yeah, that, that's how I went to traditional. And at the same, kind of the same period, uh, I lost my job in China. I didn't want to get back to France that soon, so I went to Taiwan um found uh, my master master Lou Andrei, um and uh, I asked him if I could learn from him for eight months before he accepted me so it's like it's like in the movies I stand <laughs> kneeling in front of his door under the rain the snow etc <laughs> kind of it was more like uh um, asking him on Facebook and whatever, <laughs> every, also, every single week. Yeah.
0: And there's not that much snow in Taiwan, right? So
1: <laughs> And it never snows. Uh, maybe on top of some mountains, yeah, it does. But yeah, <laughs> it's never snowing. Um, so yeah, um, he finally accepted me. Uh, and uh, I was the only dis- uh, disciple. I was not a disciple yet. Uh, accepted to teach uh, aside from his children he has a uh, mm-hmm. sweet children two boys one girl and uh, two of them do chinese martial arts yeah
0: interesting and i mean there's a lot of stuff uh, in there that i think we should go back to especially how you you begged your master to to accept yeah. you that's very <laughs> interesting but also that you you are one of the few people i've met that Actually started with Chinese martial arts and and then kind of um, you know, stuck with it. Stick to yeah. Yeah, because most people, me including, we, we usually start with Taekwondo or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting.
1: I think so, I was lucky that there was Kung Fu Wushu in my in my city. If not, I, I might have started with Judo, Karate, or whatever the big sports in the West are. Yeah.
0: Mm. yeah. But before we before we uh, dive um, into this. Um, you know, also what, what you specifically then then learned from your current teacher, from your Shifu. Um, um, let's maybe um, set some kind of not ground rules, but but start with definitions. Um, how yeah. would you define martial arts? Because you already talked about traditional and modern Wushu <laughs> and stuff like that. And I think we need to talk about these terms as well. But sure. maybe start with just martial
1: arts in general. Like what what is martial arts to you? To me, uh, it's many things. Uh, to most people, it's just uh, fighting art, maybe where they put, they add some moral values or virtues, the wuda, uh, we talk a lot about in Chinese martial arts, but not necessarily follow, Um, however, uh, I believe that martial arts can be fight-oriented and should be, as for traditional ones, but uh, let's be be honest, I don't think, I think that maybe only one percent of the school's Whenever, wherever in the world, actually practice for real fighting. Um, I believe that nowadays, it's not that, it, it, I, was, I will say it's not efficient anymore, but it's not that the techniques or the styles are not efficient. They are efficient. It's just that the masters and the way we train and the practitioners, um, It doesn't suit uh, nowadays reality, and it doesn't suit. We don't train for fighting. We train forms. We do train, how. if I punch like this, should I block like this, then hit like this? eh?" But that's mostly it. We don't spar with the techniques. Mm -hmm. uh, Some schools do, of course, Um, uh, but most of us don't. And uh, I don't blame the schools. I know it's hard to find time. Uh, adequate legit people to teach that and to hold class and take care of every student and their physical integrity Um, but uh, I think at least if not if we can't teach better than that at least let's be honest with ourselves and do not tell students that um, we this works and this is effective. And if you encounter any problem in the street, let's say you should fight using my techniques. If you if you're not training for that, then do not say that. Just be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, and I think it will give a it will bring a, it will do a big favor to Chinese martial arts, who, which suffers from a lot of criticism, uh, especially nowadays with the. Um, the the fashion of combat sports um and i love combat sports um so yeah so martial arts are not only martial uh they can be good for health they can help with confidence uh for socialization you make a lot of friends uh, all over the world um it's also a way of meditation um there's a lot of stuff in martial arts and to me it's um a whole culture it's uh Everything, it's a a real culture. It's something like the culture that was given to you by your parents and your family. Uh, It's something you learn, something you're training, something you live for. And this is, you you try to, at at least for me, I try to apply the concepts and the values that have been taught by my masters in my everyday life. And uh, including health through training, breathing and other exercises yeah
0: mm-hmm. so
1: yeah to me that's my definition of uh, wushu i might forget some things but uh, that's pretty mm. much it yeah
0: and now now uh, at, at the end you already said that, that your definition of wushu so that is that the main term that you use yeah. because there is kind of a gap right like uh, in, in the in the west obviously kung fu yeah. is much more common which is actually yeah. a mispronunciation mispron- of kung fu but then yeah I mean, in China, people also use different terms. Obviously, wushu is the official one, but then a lot of people connect it to like modern competitive wushu. Like-
1: yeah, I use wushu because after the Chinese, like you did, and you um, know, uh, in, in, if we're talking pure semantic, uh, this, I, in my opinion, this is more correct, and uh, especially in mainland China and in Taiwan. Uh, in Taiwan, they also have another spelling. Uh, they also call it uh, quoshu, so the national sport. And I've, I've heard it in China as well, uh, but it mostly refers to the Republican era um, practice of martial arts, um, which is still a strong feeling because most masters in Taiwan, uh, they are pretty much pro Kuomintang, So uh, there's a, a, a big nationalism and patriotic uh, feeling behind that. Uh, that word, kuosu. Um As for kung fu, yeah, as you said, that's, everyone knows kung fu in the West or even in, in the whole world. Uh, to me, it mostly comes from, uh, of course, the Hong Kong cinema. Because let's be honest, in uh, Cantonese, and especially in Hong Kong, uh, they prefer to use kung fu. They use more suk or su in, in Cantonese, but they, they, they prefer kung fu much more. And Bruce Lee also. Um, also was uh, uh, always talking about kung fu and most people are big fans of bruce lee so yeah it all comes together like this um yeah so i but i do use kung fu for marketing reasons if i want to sell my class to uh, someone that never practiced i do say kung fu mm. uh, because as you said in the west wushu has a connotation of modern sport wushu um yeah, so it's that's why I try to use wushu as much as possible, even on my channel. But uh, um, sometimes when you're confronted with new uh, with new people that don't know much about martial arts, you have to use kung fu and then slowly explain to them, either is, is during the class or either during a, a discussion, what yeah. each term really means. Yeah.
0: I mean, I had a similar a similar challenge, or I still have it, I guess. I call this a Kung Fu Crew podcast, but n- n- most people don't understand that Kung Fu is the actual pronunciation, like yeah, <laughs> that is yeah, how it yeah, should yeah. be pronounced. And then I think, okay, maybe for marketing purposes, it would be better to call it Kung Fu, but I somehow <laughs> refuse to. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> now I think you're doing right. I think this is one way, through your media, it's one way of t- teaching people about the real pronunciation and then like I do, you can explain the difference between Kung Fu and Wushu. One's uh, a skill master through time and hard training. And uh, the other one is martial arts, wherever it can come from, China or Japan or anywhere else. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, Maybe then then let's talk a bit more specifically about also what you learned and, and trained. I mean, you, so you went to Taiwan. It's interesting that you actually started also with Southern martial arts originally, <laughs> right before you got into Wushu. But then you learned mostly two styles in, in Taiwan from your teacher, correct?
1: Yes, uh, you're correct. Um, uh, at the very beginning, I didn't know what my master was practicing. Uh, I got to know, him, to know him through YouTube videos. I've seen a YouTube video while many years ago when i was in china uh maybe in 2005 or maybe no later 2005 youtube was not that big uh um and i remember seeing this this video and, and thinking how how can a traditional master do wushu so beautifully and so aesthetically looks <laughs> looks so elegantly and still you can tell that there is power there is intention there is um Uh, skills and uh, pliable movements, uh, techniques, fighting techniques. Um, And so I reached for him on Facebook, because everyone uses Facebook in in Taiwan, and um, uh, thankfully he added me, I I came to visit, I did one class with him, Uh, mostly it was me showing my skills, Uh, and he was like, man, you're so fat, How how can you move like that? Uh, yeah, because after I broke my meniscus, I gained like 15 pounds, uh, of course, for not training. Um, and uh, however, once I left, he was living pretty far from Taipei. He lives in Taoyuan, and I lived in Taipei. So it's like uh, one hour 30 of train ride plus walk, walking on, uh, up to his clinic, um, and um he first refused, Afterward, he refused to teach me. He was always pushing me to go to other teachers. Um, And back then I still didn't know what I was really training with him. Um, So for eight months, it went like this back and forth. I sometimes went to his clinic using a a fake reason to go there like, oh my hand hurts because he's a doctor. Um, Maybe you can check on it or whatever. And uh, only on Facebook. And finally, at some point, he accepted me, uh, accepted to teach me, of course. And um, slowly, I did I know that he was teaching me Taiwanese Honga, which I didn't know I already had been introduced to back in 2013 by his own master. So my Taiwanese Honga Shikong master, Zhang um, in Paris, where he came for a one-week seminar. Um, and so that was fun and then while I was training Hongga he believed that I was also fit for tai Caijiaquan, tai which are two styles that are in the same lineage uh, of uh, it's called nanzong shaolin tai so basically Southern shaolin tai where we use tai Quan as a basic before we become an indoor disciple and are able to learn further Um So these were the two main styles. Uh, however, Master Lu um, is pretty well versed also in Baihequan, which he learned both from his father. He, they have a family style of Baihequan. White, white crane. Yeah, white crane, sorry. <laughs> white crane, and especially shaking crane, vibrating crane, Zonghe, uh, and also Quan. So, yeah, there's, there's like four ties, but I've mostly learned two, hmm. two or three. Tang, so yeah.
0: His Tanglang is a Southern praying or the Northern one from Shandong?
1: It, it's Northern, yeah. Okay. It's not uh, Choga Tanglang or whatever. Yeah. It's Babu uh, it's Tanglang.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And when you said like he accepted you as a student, was that already? Because uh, this is also quite interesting i mean different mainland and taiwan and then it's different in northern and southern china like the bai shir, like the, the yeah. like the tradition that you actually like ask for teaching and then you accept it and he becomes your Shufu. was that already like part of his teaching or what did he was it just like to get in the door and say hey let's let's maybe can i can i please learn at least something from you
1: yeah so the the way it happened was yeah was just as you said uh, i was just learning something from him um, it, I was not yet a disciple uh, in 2018 it took me to his Cai Chuan master, Master Lu Ti in Taichung so in the center of Taiwan and um, I did uh, in the indoor ceremony in the I wouldn't say disciple, I would say student I don't know how to translate that in, in English it's mm-hmm. called Zhu Men Yi Shi and not Bai Shi Yi Shi so It's really indoor, it's entering the gate, if we translate that literally. Uh, It's just to say that I am a student of Master Lu Wenjui through the Tsai lineage, but not yet his disciple. And then in 2019, after I I pushed my master to take me as a disciple and his children, actually, because they were not his disciple as, uh, uh, as well. So we, all three of us, went back to Taichung and we did the, mm. the bai shi yishi, the bai, the bai shi ceremony. Uh, yeah, that, that's how it went from just a normal student to a disciple today. Yeah,
0: mm. And I mean, you mentioned that, so you saw the YouTube videos first, because this really interests me, like how people choose their teachers. And again, I mean, this is actually similar to the other stories that I've heard so far in the podcast. This, oh yeah, you know, I, I saw that, that the teacher... I thought, yeah, this is it. Can you elaborate a little bit on it, one, what it was? And also, I mean, obviously, it, it took a while for you to kind of, you had to lobby him to actually, you know, start like learning. And Ernesto, obviously, there was something that
1: fascinated you, right? Yeah, um, like I said earlier, the first thing that fascinated me is the way he moved. Uh, coming from modern Wushu, uh, I do love t- traditional styles but mostly northern because visually they're more aesthetical for most of them than the southern styles again with a modern wushu point of view from a modern wushu point of view um but so that that's the first thing i was like man traditional wushu are usually so ugly especially uh, if, if we say we were i was talking about tai zhu chuan tai zhu chuan is uh is really ugly it's really basic it's wham, you just pierce you just push uh, sometimes you Got the teeth together and yeah, straight on the neck. Um, and this looks, this looks weird. This looks, it looks, yeah, it looks bad. So that's what I loved uh, about him at first. Then I understood, besides looking good, when I met him, that he was actually knowing what he was doing. It was not only forms, but man, he has. Um, arms that are stronger still, when he blocks or uh, hits you, it's it's so painful. Um, and he lives, he lives for Wushu. Um, it is exactly like many of us and like I try to do, I try to put Wushu in my life and my life into Wushu, and that's exactly how he lives. So he's, uh, he's one of the most famous Chinese traditional medicine doctor in Taiwan, uh, especially renowned for his uh, bone-setting uh, techniques. Uh, so without surgery and it just sets the bones together and to me i was like wow that's like the real wong fei hong you know uh, <laughs> a real master and then in his clinic you see all these weapons uh, the wooden dummy uh, the iron dummy whatever every time he have some spare time he would train he, he would train he walks from 9 a.m to 11 p.m but no matter what he would train every morning and if he ever he, if he ever has time as time sorry in the afternoon or on the weekends he would also train and every time he goes even when he goes for a trek with his wife uh, for hiking he would take his sword and practice on top of the mountain like a, a real passion you know um, a real immortal <laughs> so um but that, that's pretty funny yeah uh, let's say that I was fascinated by his visual aspect, his aesthetic, but I fell in love with his kind of wushu and mindset uh, when I got to know him more, and um, also he's very about health, being a doctor, he's very about uh, training for health, though he loves also fighting, and uh, um, he, he also loves MMA, which is funny for a traditional, but I had to say it. Yeah, he's 63 years old, but he loves MMA. I took him to a few MMA match in Taiwan. He was always super happy about it. He loved it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Interesting. And yeah. I mean, you mentioned it yourself. So in the beginning, you said, Oh, you want to be like Jet Li in Once Upon a Time in China, where he actually <laughs> plays Wong Fei Hung. Yeah, yeah, right. And then, exactly. l- then later you learned Hungar, which is the style of Wong Fe <laughs> Hung from yeah, a, yeah. a doctor. So you know, full circle, I would say. It's
1: exactly, full circle, exactly. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So let's talk a bit about Hunger then. I mean it's it is one of the most famous styles thanks to uh, thanks to Hong Kong cinema and to yeah. uh, thanks to you know folk heroes like Wong Fei Hung and you know like um, historical figures that, that uh, have often been uh, used in in both novels and and movies, um, so how 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 does like what does training in hunga look like? So what what uh, what can one expect when and or maybe also how did you start training with your your master? I mean you already had a background, obviously, but w- w- what does training look like?
1: So yeah, uh, you said I had a background, so we didn't take too much time with the basics. I'm, I don't consider myself very good, but I think I have good basics and uh, so I, had, I was able to skip that and I think that's why one of the reasons he accepted me as a disciple as well later because he didn't want to waste time teaching basics and that's why he refuses a lot of people but yeah uh, for the hunga, uh first I started with the forms because I didn't know yet what I was training and uh, so he was just teaching me so I, the, the first forms I remember were the iron, iron, iron fan and uh, Dragon, dragon shape. So let's say a typical class would be training, uh, warming up, of course, but the traditional way. So it's just holding positions. So that's what also we call basics. i my mapu a lot. Uh, honga should it be Taiwanese or Hong Kongese, uh, has the same effect on your legs. It it kills your legs. Every every any training, it's super hard on the legs. Uh, we also would train the, the forearms especially by hitting stuff or ourselves with uh, with uh, with my master. Just the two of us, we would each, the ta sam which is pretty pretty renowned in any, any style of martial art. And uh, also we got, um, yeah, after the conditioning and the warm-up, we would go through the forms. And during the forms, he would teach me the fighting application of every movement Um, then that's for a typical class Uh, there were other classes for example on every saturday morning i would come very early to his clinic so he would still be sleeping or waking up and during that one hour of time, I would be doing only wooden dummy. But that wooden dummy is not a Honga wooden dummy. It's a white crane wooden dummy, his family white crane wooden dummy, which is much bigger than the classic Wing Chun dummies we see. And uh, we're really, we already hitting the dummy. It's, it's also a conditioning that I had to do. I did it uh, every Saturday morning for, for six years and uh, yeah that was pretty fun and then we would start with some breathing exercises mostly coming from the Tai tu and uh, sometimes from the um, from the white crane and then later again goes through the Kong forms and the applications uh yeah that's a so typical what- training yeah
0: so what I understand uh, is then that you kind of, I mean, kind of skipped basic training because you already did a lot of stance work before, like, would, yeah. you know, like that would be basic training, like stance work or also like practicing basic punches or blocks or like what what other stuff would be part of the basics?
1: Yeah, uh, part of the basic, yeah, the, 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 of course the stances, yeah, the, the way you punch, the, the, the body alignment. We, I, I would add in the basic, the conditioning. And when I say conditioning, I'm talking about all the physical abilities like uh, speed, endurance, strength, springiness, uh, whatever. Um, So I already had all that, kind of. Uh, What I was lacking is, uh, of course, uh, maybe the understanding of the Honga concepts and principles and uh, a bit of traditional reinforcement because I never did it. Uh, only on the on my very first two years of kung fu, but I forgot everything about it. But uh, yeah, so it was mostly we would skip all of that mostly, and because I was teaching boxing and strength and conditioning in Taiwan, uh, in a few gyms, so I was already trained in these uh, physical abilities.
0: And you mentioned concepts and, and or principles, of hunger, like yeah. w- what are those? Can you, can you elaborate?
1: Uh, so there's the stato dynamic. I don't know if you say that, stato dynamic in English. Uh, for example, the the saw here, the qiao, saw, the chao saw, the bridge hand, when you, when we push, when contracting and holding the breath in the tian, then re- releasing all of it. That's what I call stato. It's, it's both static and dynamic. Yeah, so it's using uh, isometric
0: yeah. tension, right, like where you use yeah, resist the, yeah, the resistance exactly. of your own body.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a lot of isometric tensions, uh, the breathing techniques, um, the, I call it the flow, or you can call it the kanjue in Chinese, uh, of the style, which, is, which was very different, especially because, as I said, I started with Nanquan. But I did a lot of Changchuan afterwards in competition, so I kind of forgot everything, and my, my movements were too wide. Uh, thankfully, Taiwanese Ga is quite wide, uh, or even contemporary Hong Kong Ga is pretty wide compared to Taizu Chuan, for example. Uh, so I had less trouble to practice Ga than I'd had practicing Taizu Chuan and when
0: you say wide you probably also mean the stances right because a lot of yeah. southern southern chinese martial arts are defined by the sun uh, sun right like the, the this very close narrow stance that you often
1: see yeah uh yeah, exactly. Uh the in Honga what we call the se Ping Ma, so the the Mapu, yeah. Um it's pretty white compared to other Southern styles. I mean you can find similar white Mapu or is any other stands in Charlieford maybe mm. and in other likewise ties, but maybe in Cholga But um, yeah, most of them I like, like you say we have the Santiao Ma or the it's called either Santiao Ma or Bu. 50-50 step uh, where we just uh, shoulder width apart and one foot above in front of the other. And that's pretty much our stance all the way. And we just get, we just sit down on that stance. And that's the case for Taizu, uh, White Crane, a lot of, especially in footian in styles and Hakka styles. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And this is also what was then transmitted to Okinawa, right? Uh, where you have yeah. a lot of traditional karate styles using this this very <laughs> compact structure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it's interesting, yes, because uh, like like I said, Cholifat, for example, has much wider movements and and flowing movements. But I guess there's also the theory the, that there was a direct northern influence, which might explain mm. why it's quite different from some of the other.
1: It does, yeah. yeah. It does have a strong northern styles influence mm. yeah and you mentioned
0: so you mentioned isometric uh, uh, tension or this this you're like using using isometric tension for practice and before you also said that when you refer to uh, again like obviously the, the modern wushu perspective that the styles would yeah. be ugly where people like clench their jaws and something that <laughs> would be also part of this right this idea of
1: yeah that would also be part of the tension yeah
0: so basically when when you when you said that you kind of skipped sort of the basics or you or you had yeah. a lot of the basics you you then kind of started with intermediate training but it has to go from there somewhere right there has to be an advanced level of training as well or is like what what would that look like in in hungar
1: you mean a, a more advanced training than intermediate yes. training yeah yeah um I would say through the firms um we could say that the forms in Honga could be separated, especially in Taiwanese Honga, the one I know the best. Uh, they can be separated uh, in few levels. You got the very basic one, like the Luohan Tsubajang, the 18 Arats Palms, or, uh, the Quin, the Plum Flower form. Uh, even some of the pillars, like the Kungji the uh, I don't know how to translate that, or the Tiger and Crane. I mean, they are very hard forms because they are very long and demanding, but the techniques, in my opinion, are not that hard. So I, would, I would consider the Fu the Tiger and Crane form, uh, an intermediate level, and then the Tietziet Kun, the Chiexian Iron Wire form, and then other forms more advanced. Uh, for example, of when I talk about other forms, one thing about Taiwanese Honggao that is very specific to it is that we got three monkey forms, and we got um, a lot, a, a, a huge part which is drunken boxing. We uh, we got six weapon, f- uh, six empty-ended drunken forms, and eight weapon drunken forms. So that's a total of 14 Dwenken forms, and, which is a lot. <laughs> it's like a complete style within another style. And these are very hard. These demand a lot of basics, aside from the physical abilities and uh, stances. Um, you have to be good in acrobatics. You have to be very flexible to understand how to move and use your, 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 your body to hit and punch which is very different from any other style. And uh, that, to me, are the, more ad- the most advanced forms in uh, Taiwanese hunger. And as for the monkey, it's very demanding. And not every people can do it. Uh, for example, very tall people have trouble doing monkey forms because you have to get very low all the way and to be on your toes most of the time. And it's super hard on your cardio. It's a great cardio exercise, but it's also very hard yeah, to, to sustain a form from the beginning to the end with the same amount of power. Yeah,
0: mm. And the, uh, with the drunken uh, boxing parts, I mean, I think Wong Fei-Hung was also an accomplished practitioner <laughs> of drunken boxing, right? So did that go back to him or was it later introduced by someone else? Do you know that?
1: Yeah. Uh, so the Taiwanese hong is supposedly, is, is mostly, has, mostly has been compiled by Master Zhang ke we is still alive, so he's my second again. Uh, it Taiwanese Honga is a mix of forms coming from the Wang Fei Hong lineage, if we believe the sayings, but and mostly from the village honga. So and anterior to Wang Fei Hong. It was there before Wang Fei Hong and is very different if you look at village honga and compare it to what we know as Hong Kong Hanga nowadays, it's completely different. So we do have a mix of that, and uh, I'd say if you trust the saying uh, regarding the Wong Fei-Hong lineage, it's because uh, one of Master Zhang Khudja's master, his main master, let's say, which is Master Lin Jia-kun, supposedly was a disciple of Wong Fei-Hong, but According to the dates, I've I've done my research. It doesn't match. <laughs> okay, so he might have learned Wang Fei Hong lineage stuff. Uh, maybe he has, but Wang Fei Hong either was dead, or Master Lin Jia Kun was three years old when he learned from Wang Fei Hong. Yeah. Okay. So I know, mm. I know, I know. I'm. I will be uh, uh, scolded by many of my shishiyong and my uncles for saying that, but I, I like to do my research and I like to be uh, honest about my practice. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, very
0: it's very common, isn't it? That also in it, even in families, like I've, I've seen with a lot yeah. when, when, for example, the father who's a famous teacher maybe passes away when the kid was like super young, they would still claim like, oh yeah, I learned so much from my father, and that exactly we were, we were four years old back then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very common. We 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 always need to to. To have a bigger a ego than what we already have, uh, especially when we are a kung fu master, uh, <laughs> uh, it happens a lot in Wing Chun as well. Everybody is, is Ip Man disciple, yeah. No matter the style of Wing Chun you do, so that's funny. Yeah. And you already
0: mentioned uh, you had a couple of references to the to the techniques and you know to maybe basic techniques and then more advanced stuff. And obviously there's all this conditioning, strength building. So. Like if if somebody wants to train hunger for fighting I mean in the beginning you said okay so maybe I, I agree with, I actually agree with this if you don't train for fighting then maybe you shouldn't claim that you do but obviously you can train this for fighting if you want to um, what what would this look like like what are typical techniques or, or tactics or strategies um, in, in hunger that you try to develop
1: uh, so to me the most uh, difficult point uh, about teaching hunger for fighting uh, is that the forms? The movements are pretty wide, as we say it in the forms. But as for fighting techniques, you have to narrow them, and this is hard. It's like learning the opposite of what you should do. But it helps. Before who can more can less. I don't know if you can say that in English. But uh, yeah, if you can hold a big maku and uh, punch far away, you are also able to get at least the same amount of power, if not even more, in a short distance. Um, aside from that distance consideration, you also have to build reinforcement is a big, big part in Honga and even in Taizhu because we block and we hit a lot with the hands and the forearms. And uh, you have to get rid of the scare you can have from blocking. And engaging your whole your power and body weight into a punch or a, a hitting technique. Um, that's also why reinforcement is very important. So when um, when when
0: you say reinforcement, yeah. like you mean you kind of reinforce the technique by really putting your body, your your weight and your structure behind it. Yeah, you're...
1: you have to go all in and not be afraid. Basically, yeah. To me, that's pretty much it. Uh, when I when I do when I teach, my. Students, how to fight? I I do use my background in Sanda uh, because my my master Ken Chung, my my first master in France Ken Chung, which with whom I trained until two thousand and fifteen, he would ask us to do both modern wushu and Sanda to understand uh, both aspects, even though it's very different, even though we don't apply the techniques, you at least can understand fighting. So what I try to do is first this first. Teaching my students the basics. Uh, so, the, the distance, uh, how you frame your opponent, how do you frame your opponent, which, which means how do you keep uh, engaging and, and uh, on the same line as him while protecting your center line. Uh, yeah, the going in and back uh, management, the, the, that ma- the management of these actions, going in and back, getting out when it's too dangerous. And um, afterwards, only I do teach. The techniques of the forms, and then we try to put to include these techniques in a sparring kind of fighting. So we do we would spar like in modern combat sports, uh, wearing gear, but the goal of each of these students is to apply the technique we just saw. And that's how we get to see. Oh, yeah, it, it doesn't work that way, but it could work. The other way, depending on on your environment, depending on the way your opponent moves, and uh, depending on a lot of stuff actually.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I mean, how do you how do you then deal? I mean, this is also already quite interesting to see that you also you know use modern gear and and you know you sparring as an as a platform to develop technique and stuff like that. But how do you deal with I I would assume that Hungar has a lot of techniques where you also grab your opponent. I mean mm-hmm. I, I I'm not an expert obviously but you can see like the tiger claw a lot yeah. in, in the in the movements and stuff like this. Um, this is probably difficult to practice with with sparring gear yeah. so you have to practice this in, in a different manner, right?
1: So that's that's something that, that's a very good question. Um, that's some, something that cannot be trained a hundred percent nowadays you can't risk uh, your student or your partner uh, integrity physical integrity when we train so you just can't try the real techniques of hunger the more vicious one at least the ones where you pull the air when you when you when you break the the knees etc of course and it's the same for any other style so the only way to do it, and that's also why kung fu or wushu is having a hard time nowadays. These types of techniques can only be taught the safe way. The safe way. So it's like slow motion, or like very like even if it's uh, with speed, you have to take care of your opponent. So you just mm-hmm. oh i'm faking grabbing your hair i faking grabbing your clothes and breaking your neck uh your neck or your knee and um but if we get into a sparring mode then it would it will look more like combat port or i would put only the techniques like the the takedowns the slowdowns, the punches and kicking uh, that can be applied without hurting you Um, that's the whole problem but again you have to be honest, when I teach such techniques to my students, I say, guys, this might work or it might not work, depending on who's your opponent and where you are. And there is a lot of chance that it doesn't work because we can't train the real way.
0: Yeah, you so, can never go full intensity in yeah. sparring with some of these. Yeah, that's... But yeah. I think, I mean, like you, like you described it, that's fair, right? You, you, there are certain techniques that you train with lower intensity because you want to be <laughs> yeah. safe. Yeah. And there are other techniques that work with higher intensity because you yeah. can practice them with gear and in, a, in a, this kind of dueling sports combat uh, um, format. And, you know, hopefully at the end, both will come together. But like you yeah, said, and,
1: Yeah, and also what can help uh, for a few movements, not the grabbing and pulling, but uh, for a few strikes using pads is pretty interesting. Pags or even bags uh, in some... In, uh, for some from some point because you can go full power and that so you can do a block then go full power on the pad and keeping your your, your body safe mm. yeah so that's pretty interesting
0: yeah it's uh, essentially an approximation right you, you try yeah. to go at it from different angles with different exercises different formats um, <laughs> always trying to be safe but then kind of getting closer to the real deal without actually risking...
1: Exactly, yeah. And you could say the same thing about combat sports. Uh, uh, when they, when these guys, even the professional, when they spar, most of their sparring is not full intensity. Uh, sometimes it is because they have to get ready for a big match, but um, most of the time it's not. Yeah. Uh, the difference is that they don't have techniques that can... They do have techniques that can injure people, of course. Uh, you, you just look at the match and you know. But they don't have techniques that will break someone until he can't get up or until um, he could die, let's say. Yeah.
0: Hmm. yeah. Yeah, because these are forbidden and then why would you train them? Exactly. Right? Making yeah. sense. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. But you also mentioned there are like takedowns and stuff like that. So Hunger also has throws and, and, yeah. and knockdowns, sweeps, stuff like that. A
1: lot, yeah. For most people, only the northern styles have throwdowns and takedowns, or mostly the northern styles. But even in Futian or even Guangdong, we've got throws and takedowns as well. One of the reasons the positions in Honga are that wide and similar to the northern styles is because there are a lot of throws. It's just that we don't hold the Mapu the same way. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, even in foot and styles, most of the grabs and stuff like this they end up with a, a throw or a takedown.
0: Yeah. You already mentioned conditioning um, and especially like like toughening up or hardening the body and stuff like that and then isometric tension for strength building but I would assume or at least that's my my knowledge uh, of, of hunger and styles like that that there are there are also a lot of interesting direct like strength training exercises like with uh, yeah. I, I, I remember something like with sandbags like that you throw around and you grab but like what what exercises do you have there like what's what's interesting regarding strength
1: training? Um. What's interesting, uh, we got, I'm sure you've seen it, uh, we place a heavy bar, it could be a barbell or any other, other thing that's pretty heavy, and you make it roll on your forearms to condition your forearms using your isometric uh, tension. And, um, of course, the exercises I've, I've talked about before. We do have um, a bag. We Actually, it comes from a thai tia but most Thais share the kind of same of... Conditioning uh, tools, so it's a bag made of um, fisherman's net, fish net. We fill it with uh, rocks about that big, so not not too big, not too small. Mm-hmm. And then but we like marbles, it,
0: the size of a uh, big marble. Uh,
1: a a big, a bit bigger than marbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we throw it in the air. Then we try to catch it, especially with these three fingers: so the thumb, the index, and the major. We try to catch it and bring it back, then sway it again in the air, pierce, grab, and again and again and again. This is super hard finger conditioning. We don't do it a lot because it's very hard on the fingers, Uh, but we do that. We also have um, a box filled with, um, it can be filled either with metal balls or with uh, uh, black, black beans.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 the yeah. beans, yeah, mm. black
1: beans, and then you just it, it's again, it's it's to train the finger piercing, grabbing and pulling, and um, this also comes from Taiju, but it's it also we also have it in Honga. for the for the balance, we do something interesting, we stand in mabu on a, how do you say that part of the tree
0: Oh, yeah, and, like that, like pillars, like like stakes
1: uh no, it's yeah, but we put it we, it's like putting a tree. On the oh, floor.
0: Sideways, okay.
1: Yeah, sideways. And mm-hmm. then we, we just stand on it so we get the.
0: Ah, so you kind the, of roll like for balance.
1: Yeah, we can oh, roll forward or backward and try to hold our balance. Uh, it's something we use in 2HN, uh, especially in trunk and boxing. And um, yeah, a lot of finger push ups 10 fingers, 3 fingers, 2 fingers. Yes, pretty much it. We We hit the walls a lot. But it mostly, sorry, it's not good for the mic. We hit the wall a lot with the with the back of our palm, uh-huh. especially to reinforce that. And this, I know this come from White Crane, and from what I've been told by my master. But a lot of techniques from Honga are descending from Taizu and White Crane. Honga was if if we trust the legend that says that the thousand Shaolin temple existed, and that Hong Hei Kun was learnt, learnt in the Shaolin Temple. And um, then we can say that the Hong Ga had been also um, influenced by Taizu, White and other Fujinese arts, yeah.
0: Now, with with all this conditioning that you do, I mean, in, in the beginning you mentioned, I mean, obviously that played a huge role in your own martial arts journey. You injured yourself when you did modern Wushu. And you said like everybody everybody who does much will injure uh, themselves yeah. it's which I, I totally understand and yeah I can I can see I can see where it comes, comes from yeah. now you also said that your teacher um, is uh, placing a lot of emphasis on health because he's a doctor um, yeah. now I would assume that some of the conditioning exercises you already mentioned like with the fingers you have to be careful right so hmm. like what what role does health play in hunger training and how do you like, how do you define health? Like, what are you going for? How do you protect it or boost it or, or
1: restore it? Like, So as if we take the, the conditioning examples I just gave, uh, whereas back in the days, people were doing maybe 300 or 1,000 reps of ex- exercise per day. Following my master's principles, you just have to do a few every day, maybe 10 to 50. Uh, to prevent to in in uh was injuries. Also, we also also of course we put the titato the um, tietatio, how to say that the I, Chinese. Uh, yeah, I mean, I
0: only know tiger balm, but it's it's a, it's different. It, it's the translation it's di- is different. Like it's, um,
1: yeah, it's different, but yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's a liquid we put on the bones and muscles mm-hmm. to help with recovering. But that's part of the recovery. We do a lot of breathing exercises. Uh, so in our Taijiquan lineage, the Southern Shaolin Patuan Jin, which is slightly different from the uh, Northern Shaolin Patuan Jin, uh, is something we have to do every day. And uh, we also have the Baihe Yijingting, which is. Uh, uh, it, it says eating thing, right? But uh, it's pretty different from the eating thing, and has mm-hmm. a lot of uh, white crane principles. And as for Hunga, we do the Tianshen the iron wire. These are mostly for understanding how to breathe, regulate your your bad qi and good qi in your body but i don't like to talk about qigong i don't like the word qigong again i think it's good for marketing but i don't think uh, it's good to make people understand more about chinese martial arts and uh aside from the breathing techniques it's also good for your postural and biomechanical um alignment your 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 yeah your spine alignment and stretching um, with a lot of spine stretching and muscle stretching through the exercises I just gave, I just talked about. Yeah. May, may and, I ask? Uh, it, so yeah. you
0: said like you don't yeah. like to talk about qigong. Like, uh, yeah. is it specifically the term or the the concept that are connected to this? Or
1: is the concept that are connected to this in the West? In the West, when you said qigong, it often bears a mystical part whereas in china it's nothing mystical and actually in china it's pretty rare that people talk about qigong i mean they do it it's included in their practice should it be internal or external uh, or should there be even external and internal styles everybody puts puts qigong or breathing and Tuna techniques in their practice um but they don't talk about it in in the west i don't know if, for Germany, but in France, there's so many gurus that love to talk about Qigong and say, if you do that, yeah, you can, whatever, you can kill someone with your finger or you can just uh, uh, cure cancer or whatever. It's so it's so bullshit that I don't like to to use the the term. Hmm. Yeah, it. But that's because of how we use it in the West. It's not because of its its true concepts. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I also noticed that i mean even i mean i, I trained taiji chuan in in china yeah. right I, I did train some other stuff um, in in here in, in germany but yeah. um in, in china it was always Taijiquan, um and also now with nabil like qi as a as a term it's never really used it's also not used by the chinese actually yeah. like i mean Again, we're talking about taiji chuan. People would assume that everybody talks about qi, but it's actually it's not a, not a concept that is, is super important within the practice. People talk way more about Jin, like force, yeah, or, or exactly. structure, or like I said, breathing and dantian, obviously. But it's very pragmatic and physical in many ways, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: I agree. How then does... Like, do do mindfulness and introspection or even meditation I mean these are also all terms meaning slightly different things but um, does this play a role in hunger training I mean you, you mentioned before like as a kung fu master obviously we all need a big ego and I think that's a big problem so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's funny that you know often the sh- spirituality is advertised but then it's it's yeah. not
1: not there at all but is it does it play a role in, in traditional hunger training? Um, I think it plays a role in uh, martial arts whatever the style is, Um, I think if you are a true uh, practitioner, it doesn't have to be a master, uh, even more if you're a master, you're never pleased with what you do and what you see. If you have a very traditional master teaching you, it's even worse because he keeps on making you feel bad about your performance. (laughs) So um, you're doing introspection, every day of your life when you do martial arts um, and uh, that's also the good thing about it because i think martial art is a, a way of life to become a better person that you were yesterday so introspection helps with that and uh, as for visualization uh, for example i use that for my students that compete because i really believe in the in the strengths of visualization when you go into a competition or even if you go for a job interview, let's say, Visualize helps you reduce stress and the amount of stress and increases your performance a lot. Uh, It works a lot. It's not new. Uh, uh, um, A lot of people do that. So I would separate visualization. I I do separate visualization from introspection, whereas introspection is more a long-term and everyday Uh, work that you have to do on yourself and your practice whereas visualization is something you do for a an event or a performance that you have to attend. As for meditation I do meditate every day but not necessarily the way people think while sitting down closing my eyes and breathing and uh, whatever else you could do. Uh, Sometimes I do that when I want to calm down mostly and relax. That's what also my master does. So my master is a very big uh, Buddhist practitioner, Buddhism practitioner, and he does a lot of meditation. Uh, And I followed him through his meditation, but never had he tried to put uh, Buddhism philosophy in the meditation, even though i i i'm not christian or catholic but um he never tried to we were always using that as a way of focusing on ourselves and calming down cooling down so that's one way of meditating but we also believe that the meditation can be done through practicing your forms when you're ready into your form and you don't think about anything else. You're just focusing on your movements and your breathing, and you can even forget about the other people around. That's a type of meditation. You are focusing on one and one and one thing only, and this is meditation. Um, so this is the two types of meditations uh, that I do. Yeah. Nice. And when I when I teach my students, usually at the end of a class, especially when it was very exhausting, I ask them to sit down, calm down. They don't have to put their hands in any shape. They just have to relax, close their eyes, breathe. And that. this is where I ask them either to visualize if there are any competitions or performance ahead or to introspect, do introspection and think about what they've gone through during the class and what they could have done better, what they achieved and, that, and which what was great, good, or uh, what they can improve. Yeah.
0: Hmm. So you include it in a very kind of organic and pragmatic fashion in your own teaching. Yeah,
1: very, I try to be pragmatic yeah, as hmm. much as, as I can, yeah.
0: So you're, you're teaching now as well in, in back in France, right? So you went back to France and you're, you're, you're teaching?
1: <laughs> yes, I've, I've been back for less than six months. Uh, I've done some seminars, but in France, uh, we start the sports season in September to June. So yeah, next septem- September, I will be starting teaching uh, mostly Taizu, Santa, and lion dance in the in Paris, yeah.
0: So Taizu Chuan and, and so would be kind of the foundation, and then people would maybe later on move on to Hungar, so you, you wouldn't start um, uh, teaching uh, Hungar? Or?
1: T- to be honest, uh, I'm not sure yet. I don't think Taizu is a good basic for Hungar, because it's very different from from. It, it shows it. Um, but people that are interested in Taizu and tai-tia-chuan so let's say Fujianese styles, Hokkien styles, uh, of course would go to Taizu. And the other ones, the more the, the guys that would be more interested in hunger either for their practice or for competition, yeah, I would teach them the forms. So so far, since I will be teaching Taizu mostly at the beginning, I plan on teaching hunger especially during seminars uh, I do also uh, Yeah, I, I have a few private students and the most for most of them they do Honga whereas only two of them do Taiju because it's, it's visually more appealing I think hmm. and also because some of them still compete in traditional styles and they want to have uh, forms that distinguish them from the other competitors
0: yeah and you also you also have a channel right you have a wushu quest uh, like on youtube and also instagram right where you also um, make make videos or you you also release content
1: yeah yeah yeah. so i i try to i've done a lot of interviews when i was in taiwan with different masters there are still interviews i haven't shared uh i'm pretty i'm pretty far behind on editing it takes too much time but yeah uh, my wushu quest channel on youtube uh, where I share interviews or insights or I introduce styles. doesn't matter w- what you practice and uh, what you think about it. I try to be open and to do to do videos that don't say this is the best style and your style is shit. Uh, I try not to do that because I think everyone has something good in their practice. And... Um, yeah, the Instagram I share I share the same thing and also more personal stuff, uh, either for personal training or or whatever happens in my wushu journey. And uh, my Instagram is uh, GK underscore wushu quest.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm gonna also gonna put it in the in the description so maybe people go check it out
1: and
0: <laughs> yeah yeah after this podcast it's gonna blow up you know gonna be huge
1: <laughs> yeah I'm gonna be a star
0: yeah. Um, so maybe to wrap this up, like um, you, uh, I think we already touched upon this a couple of times, but how do you, how would you like to see? I don't know, maybe not not all of Chinese martial arts that maybe too big, but like specifically also the, the type of martial arts that you teach and that you practice, the the community around it. How would you like to see this develop? Like, what 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 are you hoping for? Like, in in
1: the future, what I'm ho- hoping for the most would be. That people come along together, uh, get along. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, we are already suffering and we've been suffering for de- decades uh, about bad reputation because either it's not applicable or it looks too much like what we see in the movies or whatever. Yeah, Kung Fu is suffering about it. And adding to that, that many masters or so called masters spend their time criticizing other practitioners, or masters, it doesn't help. Um, it's, uh, the, it's, a common, it's a common understanding that uh, if we come together as one, we're stronger than if we're all apart, right? So it, it would make sense that we get along together. So I hope maybe against a common enemy that we can come <laughs> get along. Uh, but I'm a pessimist and I don't, I don't really see that happen but i do still hope for that's one thing and the other thing i think doesn't matter what other people think about what we do should we be even the legit masters or teachers we should keep on transmitting we should keep on teaching this is super important because if we get criticized and we don't do nothing about it okay we do, you don't want to get alone it's fine but at at least share what you've learned with other people uh, or else you're not much different from these old masters back in the days that refused to teach foreigners because they it had to stay in their community that's how styles died and are still dying today and if we keep doing that not only people will keep laughing at but they will be right about it and no styles, no legit master will be there to say, no, that's not the case. We actually have good stuff, and this is what the good stuff we have. This is what we have. This is what we can share. So do share. Do not feel, um, do not be against online teaching either. Uh, I, I'm not, I do teach online, and I, I don't think it's the perfect thing to do. I think, of course, physical teaching is the best. Uh, but especially for people that already have basics but can't find either a good teacher or are too far away from a school to uh, just, I don't know, they do a night work so they can't go to class because in the West, most classes are in the night, uh, in the evening. Man, you can't stop that person that genuinely wants to train from training just because you think, eh, online training is shit, it doesn't work. No, you have. I think you have to teach, and you have to use all the tools that we have today to share Ushu to the world. Yeah,
0: that resonates a lot with me, and, and maybe I can, I, I probably can't take away the pessimism, but I, I, <laughs> uh, I share the 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 hope that, you know, that there is more collaboration and more like a mutual understanding, or at least it should be possible to have more of that. And uh, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that actually, you know, also this podcast can help a little bit, because my impression is that when people also kind of fight amongst each other, like when they criticize uh, criticize other styles, it often starts by one person saying like, "Oh, we do like I don't know, mabu like this because it's the best way." Yeah. And and then what what's lacking is like what's the purpose behind it? Like, why are you doing it this way? So maybe you think it's the best because it serves your needs perfectly. Yeah, but maybe we have a good reason for doing it differently. Now, I think if somebody doesn't have a reason for doing it and just says like, "Yeah, it's always been done that way, and it's the best way," then I think it's a problem. But as long I think as there is an understanding of why people train and and you know also then spar and fight that a certain way and, and whatever, I think that's absolutely fine. But we have yeah. to make sure that this understanding is shared more and that that we are uh, we really understand why we are doing what we are doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, um, and if, if I try to be optimistic, I would say that the new generation, which I think you and I are part of, are actually less about fighting each other and actually try to get along and try to share more about, oh, my style has it. What does your style have? What, what, what is good in yours that's not in mine or whatever? And uh, on that part, I think this is better than, let's say, even 10 years ago or 20 years ago, um, yeah. yeah, especially in the West, yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think that's a very nice, hopeful note that we can end <laughs> the episode on. So Exactly. Thank you very much for for sharing all your your experience and also giving us insights into your Hungar training. And, Thank you um, for
1: having me. Yeah,
0: you're, you're very welcome. Um, I think uh, you know I I have this idea of you know maybe then at some point starting a second season where we talk a bit more about like meta topics, um like like you know culture in Chinese martial arts, maybe comparing mainland and Taiwan stuff like that. So yep. um, yeah, hopefully you will be back for for one or more of these episodes and then yeah, I'd be happy more. too. Yeah, sure. Thanks. All right, then. See you soon. Yeah, see you. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you had a great time. The next episode will air next month. And until then, feel free to check out our Instagram account where we also feature some of the people we talk to, other practitioners and teachers of Chinese martial arts and anything else that might be interesting in the world of kung fu. Thanks. Take care and hope to meet again.